Hey, I'm Dr. Paul Looney, and I'm a psychiatrist. I love working with people to help them overcome adversity, deal with mental illness, grief, loss, relationship issues. Um, it's a pleasure to see people go beyond what they're struggling with and uh, seek transformation and growth. Um, turns out in working with people that the most painful negative emotion that we experience as humans is the emotion of shame. Shame is something we feel when we feel defective or broken, when we feel like we are not enough. It can be uh, because of something that we've done or failed to do, but it strikes to the core of who we are. It's not just that we feel bad, we feel we are bad. And shame can infect us and create all kinds of problems and fuel mental illness and depression, um, can fuel addictions. The title of my presentation is Shed Shame, From Alienation to Affection. It's possible that we can, we can get rid of our, our, our shame and feel um, the joy of self-acceptance and acceptance from others. But there is one thing worse than being shameful, and that is being shameless. People who have no shame do not uh, acknowledge their brokenness or their need for help, their need for grace. They imagine they're better than you are. And um, that turns out to be a really terrible thing. In fact, there are people who actually feel pride in their bad behavior. Um, they feel pride in their brokenness rather than feeling the appropriate shame that comes from falling short of our ideal and, and what we wish to be. So let's take a look at shame and how it impacts us day to day. Every day we live um, in an imperfect world. This line at the top could represent what ought to be and what we wish were true. In our ideal world, what would it look like? In that top line, everything is well. And it's it's almost as if the memory we, we all sort of carry of Eden, of a life of perfection, um, is something we're born into the world with. We wish for a place of beauty and rest, of complete trust and faithfulness, where there's plenty to eat and we can be naked and unashamed, just like a little baby. We come into the world expecting love and free to give it. However, the, the place we live, represented by this lower line, is not what ought to be, but what is. It's not the ideal, but the real. The reality of life on the planet is often a far cry from what we wish it to be. And in that, in that, in that space, we feel a gap between the goodness that we long for and the evil that we sometimes encounter. We feel a gap between who we wish to be and who we actually are, or how we want those we love to relate to us and how they actually do. It's a gap in our circumstance, our finances, our surroundings, and what we ideally wish for. In that gap, of course, we can feel a lot of feelings. We can feel disappointed. We can feel frustration. Um, a lot of times we'll feel a sense of hurt or sadness. We feel maybe feel anger, but all of these feelings are a manifestation of our grief in that gap between the ideal and the real. Thankfully, um, if we are able to express our grief, if we're able to get it out when we fall down and, 
get road rash. When, if we can get that cleaned out and cleaned up, get the gravel out of our leg, then we can have healing. We can get back to good. We can get back to that sense of, of connection with our own goodness and the goodness of others. However, if for whatever reason we get road rash and don't think we can show anybody because we'll get in trouble, we cover up our feelings and our failings, then those can infect us. And we learn, we, we begin to feel that not just really feel bad, but we are bad, particularly if we try to get the attention that we need from someone nearby and they shame us, reject us, ridicule us, or alienate themselves from us. I was a, a sensitive kid, um, and I often got the message that I was a crybaby. It wasn't that big of a deal that I should go to my room until I could put on a happy face, that I shouldn't be angry. And so I internalized a lot of my pain, and it infected me in a very bad way. If we are not able to resolve our grief, it can lead us straight to shame. All those negative feelings get internalized. And again, we, we don't just feel bad, we feel we are bad. Now, there's a part of this that is healthy. If mom slaps you, then it's better for you to think I was a bad girl or a bad boy than to think mom is bad. Because the world needs to make sense to little children. And we need to feel we have some control. And so if bad things happen, it makes sense in a way to feel responsible for it. If mommy and daddy get a divorce, I, it must be because I was a bad kid because then the world still sort of makes sense and I still have some power. Whereas if I actually at a young age realize that the world can hit me hard and I have no recourse or uh, way to prevent it, that's a terrifying world to live in. And so we would rather feel responsible for bad and feel like we can maybe somehow control it by doing better or being good. So shame is a, is a painful experience. Um, when we, um, when we uh, have good relationships, as Adam and Eve did with one another and with God in the Garden of Eden, then trust anchors us between the ideal and the real. It allows us to, when we do fall down, to go quickly to get the help we need. If we feel angry, to name it, claim it, and tame it, to, to work through things so that we get back to good. Um, if Adam accidentally put his elbow on Eve's hair and she turned her head and said, ouch, he would say, oh, let me kiss it. Um, there was trust that they had each other's best at heart. And that if there was an unfortunate interaction, they would easily address it and get back to good. However, things don't always go so well. And our enemy, the enemy of our soul, knows that if he can take you out of trust and put you into doubt, he's on his way to interrupting intimacy and robbing us of the connection that we so desperately need. He did this in a particular way in the garden. He showed up um, in the form of a serpent and uh, suggested to Eve that all was not as she believed it to be. He did something interesting. He first let her be the one to be in the know. We all like to be um, the expert and to be able to know what's really going on. And so he says, hey, is it true you can't eat of any of these trees in the garden? She's like, oh, no, that's not true. That would be ridiculous. We can eat of all these trees except one. That's that tree over there. And, 
And that serpent, once he let her be in the know and let her realize that, oh, not everything is obvious to everyone, then he took his turn to be expert. He said, oh, well, that's the tree you really want. That tree of knowledge of good and evil is the forbidden fruit because it's really good. It is desirable. It will make you wise. And God doesn't want you to be like him. So he creates doubt. He creates a suspicion that God is not there for her, that he's not holding her, but he's holding out on her. And in that moment, um, she decides to, um, to step away from trust into doubt and to take matters into her own hands. Whenever we deal with uncertainty or trouble or difficulty in relationship in without including the person that we're uh, connected with, we are at risk of, in, of seriously damaging the connection between us and that person. In that moment, Adam and Eve, uh, once he also ate, they felt extremely disconnected from their source of life, from their source of trust and reliability, from the source of faithfulness. And in that, in that gap, once again, they experienced shame. Now, shame, as I said before, is, is the feeling that I'm not enough. And um, immediately, these two people who'd always felt trust in walking naked with God and with each other, they could be completely vulnerable. Suddenly, the experience of shame made called into question their ex acceptability. Um, it, they felt completely disconnected. At the heart of shame is um, alienation. Alienation is a word that talks that refers to the disconnection we feel. When we feel we are not enough. When we feel rejected or um, discounted. When we feel that someone is um, ridiculing or uh, despising us, it's the feeling of being on the outside looking in, and it's it's a terrible feeling to have, and it's so painful. In fact, that we'll do almost anything to avoid it and to. Um, get back to good. This is the look of shame. We cover our faces. We look away. We detach from others. We withdraw from them and we don't want to be seen because we don't want our shame to be exposed. As I said before, at the heart of shame is alienation. And we will, um, we will do almost anything to try to convince ourselves and others that we are okay, that it's not that our shame is not going to be exposed. The first maneuver that we see with Adam and Eve is something that we have all done. When we feel like we're not enough, we cover up. They started sewing fig leaves together. They got busy. They compensated for their sense of inadequacy by covering up. They sewed fig leaves together to cover the parts of their body that were intended to bring them together, but because of their difference and the disconnection, they no longer felt safe exposing their vulnerable parts, the parts of them that, that, that had the most potential for good, but also could make them feel the most vulnerable and inadequate. I, I re really relate to this. When I was a kid, I was small. Um, when I was small, I wanted to be a girl. I was terrible at sports. Um, I felt very inept and inadequate. And so I compensated by throwing myself into academics and art. Um, I tried to 
hide out and not let, I tried to not let people see um, my imperfections. In fact, if I was in class with someone in high school that I thought was really cool, I would pretend to know about sports or the music scene so that they would not think I was a loser. Ironically, if I was successful in, in covering up my ignorance, they might give me a message of approval and say, hey, let's hang out again. Sadly, I would walk away with two opposing thoughts. One is, oh, yay, um, Matt likes me. And oh, shoot, what if he knew the truth about me? Would he still want to know me or be with me? The idea is that if anybody knows me like I know myself, they will think that I'm inadequate as well. So cover-up actually doesn't work. It keeps us from, from being loved because if we can't show up authentically, even if my friend Matt doesn't care if I know about sports or music, I don't give him the opportunity to accept me as I am because I'm covering up. I don't trust enough to be authentic. And I remain in that sense of alienation. If cover-up doesn't work, and I feel like um, Matt might figure out that I'm really a dunce when it comes to sports or music, I might withdraw. The second maneuver we see Adam and Eve um, engaging is to hide out. They hid from God in the trees of the garden. When we withdraw from others, we often turn to something that distracts us from our pain. Uh, we might withdraw into um, some activity. Uh, we might withdraw into surfing the internet, looking at porn, watching television, going to the refrigerator, drinking some alcohol. But often we are using something good for a purpose it was not designed for. In Adam and Eve's case, the trees in the garden were meant for their protection, for their shade and for their the fruit, but they used them to hide from God. That's what we do when we withdraw. We turn to something that is God-given and use it to avoid. Sadly, withdrawal doesn't work either. It doesn't heal our shame. And in fact, the more we withdraw, the more alienated we feel and the worse we feel about ourselves when we realize that we've wasted time surfing the internet or wasted money um, ordering from Amazon. We've um, uh, spent too much uh, time or energy at work or eaten too much. We've drank too much. And the more we withdraw, the more powerful our shame becomes. If we get called out of our cover-up or our withdrawal and someone comes to confront us about our um, inauthenticity, as God did for Adam. God shows up and says, Adam, where are you? Now, God probably knew where he was location-wise. He wanted Adam to take a look where he was emotionally. He wanted Adam to acknowledge and take responsibility for what he had done. Adam doesn't so quickly respond to the invitation. He says, I, would, I heard you coming. I hid myself because I was naked and afraid. So God tries to call him out again. He says, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? He tries to get Adam to fess up about his guilt so that he could deal with that instead of being overwhelmed with shame. Again, guilt is about what we do. Shame is about who we are. Is Adam willing to take responsibility and step away from shame and deal with the guilt? No, he's not. In fact, he shows us the third maneuver that we often employ 
when it comes to shame. And that is to focus the, the spotlight on somebody else through blame. He blames Eve. He points the finger at her. This woman that you gave me points it at God to, to take the, the uh, attention off himself to blame someone else. So you can imagine if he and Eve were feeling a little disconnected from each other before that, imagine how she felt once he threw her under the bus. Blame, like the other maneuvers, doesn't work. It makes the sense of alienation and shame even worse because at some level, we know that pointing the finger elsewhere leaves three fingers pointing back at us. We are ultimately responsible for our behavior, even if there are circumstances or others who have done wrong. So blame is the third maneuver that we uh, engage, accusing, judging, um, putting somebody else down, saying I'm not as bad as them, that, that, that we blame others is a maneuver that doesn't really deal with our shame. The final maneuver in our compass of shame is when we do what Eve did, when we actually decide to justify or excuse ourselves. What she says is, well, I was deceived. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Like it's, how can you blame me? It's not my fault. Like me saying to the, the police, the patrolman, officer, I didn't see the sign. Um, we would like to excuse ourselves based on our upbringing or our gender or our ethnicity or whatever. We justify ourselves at a terrible expense because when we when we absolve ourselves of responsibility, we absolve ourselves of power. We become victim to our circumstances. And justification, rationalization, and excuse disempower us, take us out of the picture, and again, undermine our ability to deal with and heal from the shame. Ultimately, the only way that we're going to deal with our shame is to face it. Like most things we avoid, they get bigger. If you have a fear of flying, the longer you avoid flying, the bigger that fear is likely to get. At some point, we have to get on the plane and face our fears. This is true of shame. We have to face it. And so God, in his mercy, in the garden, asked Adam and Eve to face their shame to come to grips with their own inadequacy and the fact that none of their maneuvers could deal with the problem. The, the problem of our inadequacy is something that we cannot solve on our own. The more we try to make ourselves adequate, the more we end up limiting our connection with other people because connection, ironically, is based on trust and vulnerability. It's in our weakness that we find connection most strongly with God and with others. It is in our poverty of spirit that we can reach out connecting with God and in our vulnerability that we can receive compassion and connect with others. In the garden, God shows mercy to Adam and Eve, even though they fully expected to die because of his statement, the day you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. They found something different that day in the garden. Instead of condemnation, instead of judgment, they found grace. They found the grace of God that day. And it's what we all need with each other and with God to meet us in our point of desperation, meet us in our point of weakness and brokenness and show us acceptance and love. So God did something very powerful that day in showing grace to them. While they, had, they deserved death, God had a better way 
to to allow their punishment to fall on his creatures and his creation rather than them taking the fall. What he did that day was to provide clothing for them out of animal skins. He allowed some of those animals who were innocent to be killed that day. And in my imagination, when Adam and Eve realized that God was calling forward a couple of gazelles or goats or deer or lambs to be sacrificed for their benefit, I believe they were horrified um, and would likely have said, no, kill us. We're wrong. The animals are innocent. And yet God in his goodness and his mercy said, no, you need to watch this. I imagine God doing the actual killing and skinning to show Adam and Eve the, the, the brutality that our sin uh, visits on the creation. Adam and Eve saw that day that the consequences of our sin will always fall hardest on those that are in our care. Um, God will forgive us our sins, but they will have consequences to the people that look to us for protection and provision. This was a powerful and painful lesson for them. But in that sacrifice on, the, on that day, when Adam and Eve were confronted with their sin and their shame, it was a powerful uh, pre, uh, preview of what would happen one day later, um, later in time when God would do for all of us what he did for Adam and Eve, when he would, when he would provide for us something that would cover our shame and our sin, that would lead us to, to an experience of grace. Of course, that sacrifice was a preview of the cross. It for, foreshadowed the great sacrifice that God would make to deal with our shame and our sin, to deal with our brokenness and our defectiveness by sending his own son to be broken and battered, to sending his own son to be shamed and ridiculed. It was on the cross, in fact, that Jesus experienced shame. He was rejected. He was despised. He was spit on and beaten. He was falsely accused and horribly tortured. Um, he had nails in his hands, so he could not cover up or blame. His feet were nailed. He could not withdraw. And when he stood before Pilate and was falsely accused, he did not excuse or justify himself. He took it all on because he knew that it was the only way for grace to be uh, set loose. There was his blood to be available to cover us in a way that we could not cover ourselves. It is his, it is his skin that we get to put on, not the skin of, a, of a, a goat or a ram, but the skin of the precious lamb of God that allows us to, to grow up and to find grace in him. So how do we get from shame to grace? There's a wonderful story in the book of Luke in which Jesus tells a parable of a man who had two sons. And the younger son um, was probably quite full of himself and decided to take matters in his own hands. He went to his father and asked for his inheritance. This is a pretty shameful thing to do, basically saying to dad, I don't care about you. I just want your money and I'm out of here. Well, the father was full of grace and he gave the son his inheritance and let him go. He knew that some some of us have to learn things the hard way. And sure enough, 
after living riotously. A famine came into the far country where, where the son was, was living. And he ran out of options. He ran out of his resources. And, it, and he ended up hiring himself out to feed pigs. But he was making so little and was so down and out that he was so hungry. He wanted to eat the pods the pigs were eating. And of course, without that four-chambered stomach, he couldn't even do that. In that moment, um, the, the prodigal son came to himself, the Bible says. He came to his authentic self. He came to that place of, of being able to admit um, that he was powerless. He reached bottom, so to speak, and realized that he needed help. He said to himself in that moment, what am I doing here? In my father's house, there's plenty to eat. Even the servants have enough. So he gives himself a little pep talk. He says, what will I do? I will arise and go to my father. I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. In that little talk to himself, the prodigal son gives us the formula for stepping out of shame. In his moment of deepest shame, being a good Jewish boy, feeding the pigs, he decides that he's going to go where the help is. He's going to reach out for a higher power, just like those in addiction who come to, who, who admit our powerlessness and that our lives are unmanageable. We come to believe that there's something beyond us that we can appeal to. So in that talk, we're told that the boy actually does what he tells himself to do. Rather than covering up, we find that the boy decides to get up. He decides to activate his in his um, authentic self, to arise, to get up, to, to shake off the shame and decide to show up in a way that allows him to get the help he needs. So he arises, he gets up, he activates his authentic self that's, that is at the heart of, of who he is. And rather than withdrawing or hiding out, he decides to show up. He shows up um, uh, in relationship with his father. He decides to, to reveal himself as he is in his beaten down, beaten up condition, in his brokenness and his filthy um, garb. He decides to show up. So he heads for home. He also decides that he's going to, instead of blaming others and pointing the finger, he's going to take responsibility. He's going to fess up. He's going to confess the reality of his brokenness. He's going to fess up to the fact that he's done wrong. He says, I've sinned against heaven and before you. So I'm going to rise and go to my father. I'm going to rise. I'm going to go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. The final thing he says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but make me a servant. Instead of excusing himself and taking no responsibility for his condition, he decides to sign up to serve. He decides to show to to re-up in um, his role in the household in a humble and obedient fashion. To sign up to serve is one of the ways that we step away from shame. Because when we stop focusing on trying to be the master of our fate and trying to fix things and make them better, trying to be perfect and measure up, we just 
get up, show up and fess up. We can sign up to serve just doing the next right thing. There's such freedom from shame when we realize that we don't have to control things. We don't have to make other people um, agree with us or believe the best about us. We don't have to please them or perform for them. We can just sign up to serve our maker and do that thing that he asks of us, that next right thing. Well, the cool thing about the story of the prodigal is that when he does those things, he gets up, he shows up, he fesses up, and he signs up for service. As he's going back home, he is approaching home and his father sees him from a distance. Now, I think that indicates that the father was probably on the lookout. Even though it had been a long time and he had maybe given up some of his hope, he couldn't stop hoping that the son would come back. And what does he do? He runs to meet him. He does something that in ancient times would have been shameful to gather up his, his garb, garb and take off down the road, running toward his son. Who knows who saw that spectacle that day? Who knows? Maybe the son had already gotten looks of disdain and judgment from other people in the community as he headed for home. But the father didn't care. He didn't care about being judged or who might judge his son. He was fully committed to showing grace. He runs to him. He throws his arm around him and he kissed him probably over and over again. Didn't matter what the kid smelled like or looked like. The dad was happy to have him home just as he was. Well, the, the son tries to get his speech out. He doesn't even finish it out before the father is calling for clean robes to be put him, sandals on his feet, rings on his fingers, and calling for the fatted calf to be slaughtered so they can have a party. It's a great time when we choose to step out of shame, when we choose to share our shame so that we can find grace. If we keep our shame inside, it will infect us and become toxic. It will destroy our sense of value. And at its worst, shame doesn't just lead to alienation. It can lead to annihilation. People who feel uh, in the grip of shame feel they are not even worthy to live. So don't let shame infect you. And if there's somebody in your life who's dealing with shame, invite them to see it as an invitation to grace. To head back for home to be authentic, to, to get up, shake off any need to cover up or be somebody you're not. Just be who you are, be where you are and show up with your heavenly father just as you are without one plea because his blood was shed for thee. He loves you. He wants you. He sees you as worthy, not because of what you've done or what you look like or the size of your brain or your heart. He loves you because you belong to him. He will claim you as a daughter or a son. You just need to get up, be yourself, show up, confess when you do wrong and sign up every day to serve. We can start our days this way every day, getting up, um, deciding not to be anybody that we aren't, showing up in our lives with the people that we love and showing up with God every morning, confessing when we've done wrong and asking for forgiveness and signing up to serve. This is how we can shed shame. 
it's a wonderful life when we are able to feel the shame of our brokenness, feel the shame of our bad actions or our lack of action, but to surrender it to God and ask him to make us whole again. Confession says that I will not hold within myself anything that betrays my identity as a child of God. When we step away from shame, then even the sin that we do is not any longer our identity. It is not us, but the sin that lives in us. Our identity is firmly grounded in Jesus and in his cross. Thank you for joining me in this journey to shed shame. And I'm going to pray for all of us that as we confess, as we open our hearts and show up with God in an authentic way, that we will experience his grace available because Jesus took up the cross. He invites all of us to do the same thing, to not worry about being rejected or ridiculed, to not be worried about dying to our sense of self, but instead to be vulnerable and open, knowing that we will face judgment and ridicule, rejection, maybe even death like he did. But there's joy in this journey. And if we take up our cross daily and follow him, we will do it for the joy set before him. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. He shamed the shame. He looked down on it. He disregarded it. He didn't let it control him to make him want to cover up or withdraw, to blame or excuse. No, he disregarded the shame because he knew the joy of connection, that he was going, he had come from his father and he was going back to his father. We have that same confidence. Let me pray. God, thank you for the joy of grace. Thank you for your decision to show grace to Adam and Eve through that sacrifice in the garden and to show grace to us through letting Jesus take the fall for our sin and shame. We know the only way you could forgive our trespasses is to take the penalty for them. The only way you could pay the debt that we owed was to pay it yourself. And so thank you for doing that in Jesus. He is our only hope. And it's in his name we approach you and ask these things. Amen. God bless you as you shed shame um, and enter into grace. It's a waterfall that's always flowing. And when you stand in it, it keeps you continually clean. As you confess, your, your sins are covered. You get released. And as you stay in that waterfall of grace, the voice of shame is drowned out. Um, the voice of shame is is annihilated by the voice of grace. God speaks a better word. And Jesus' blood speaks a word on our behalf that makes us truly accepted. And at the heart of, of grace is affection. God's affection for you, his acceptance, his, the attention he shows you, and his willingness to affirm our value because of our belonging to him. God bless you. I love you.